0: for we are many, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit them, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled.
1: Please be seated. And at this time, we invite children ages four to six downstairs for Children's Church. Good morning, Red Cedar. Good to see you and to be with you this morning. How about that story? Can you believe what just happened? There is this guy. He's been isolated from everybody, screaming out, demon possessed, cutting himself with stones. That's how the story begins. And then by the end of the story, he not only is fully clothed and in his right mind, but he gets sent out as the first missionary that Jesus ever sent. I mean, can you believe this? What changed? What changed with this guy? It's something that I think has changed for many of you, too. It's that he met Jesus's authority. And that's what the sermon and our passage is about today. It's about Jesus's authority. But before we get into it, let's pray together. Father, thank you for these men and women and guys and girls who I love Thank you that we get to be a church family. Thank you that Jesus was not ashamed to call us his people. To call us his brothers and sisters. And that he was willing, um, we see that he was willing and not ashamed because he gave up his life for us. Father, I don't want to lead us anywhere that you don't want to lead us today. So would you guide my words? Would you help us also, help me, help me. To take the word that we hear this morning and to live it out, not to just be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon is about Jesus' authority, but can we talk just a minute about demons? Uh, According to the Bible, demons are spiritual creatures, spiritual creatures. So God made them as angels, but they rebelled against God. And so he expelled them from heaven. And now they live here on earth, and they try to consume and destroy and vandalize everything in this world. My guess is that most of you don't know someone who is demon-possessed. You probably don't know someone who's demon-possessed, but you do live in a demonized world. That's what the Bible says. Uh, some people say that demons are just a way that ancient people used to explain mental illness or uh, lots of the different phenomena that science now explains. We, we have science now. We know better. We don't need simplistic explanations. Uh, but let me suggest something to you. Um, I would suggest that actually the Bible does a more complex, not a more simplistic Job, but a more complex job explaining the evil in this world. Because there are categories. um, Pastor Tim Keller helped me think through this. There are categories in the ancient world and in the Bible for talking about mental illness, for talking about a whole gambit of different problems. But then you also have this separate category of demons. In the Bible, demons... Uh, They don't cause all the natural disasters. They don't cause all the mental health breakdowns, all the violence. But what they do is come in and mix things up and magnify the mess that's already here in this world. They do that to the human heart, too. They want to try and take any desire to be independent from the one true God and put a megaphone on that in your life. And really that means being more and more enslaved to the evil that runs through each of our hearts. So you might not know anybody possessed by demons, but do you know anybody who seems to be spiraling out of control? Someone that you've had input in their lives, but they continue to go down a path um, and they're just not being helped. No one can break through. Or maybe you're like, it's me this morning. It's my heart and my mind. I can't get control of what's going on inside of me. I'd suggest to you that this may not be demon possession, but all of us live in a demonized world. And so that's why Jesus' authority is such good news. And that's what this passage is about. Did you notice when Lisa read the story to us, that from the moment he steps out of the boat, Jesus is in charge. He has four major interactions here in this story, and in each one, people are coming to him with pleas. They're pleading, because that's what you do when you come across someone who has authority and can change your situation. And so when the king steps on the scene and you need something to change, you plead. So this is a story of four pleas, and it has one big point about Jesus. This story is in Mark chapter 5, and it's on page 840 in the Bibles in front of you. Feel free to follow along, however, but please do follow along here. Mark chapter 5. It's a story of four pleas, and there's one big point about Jesus. The point is this. You need to embrace his authority. The story calls for nothing less. You need to embrace the authority of Jesus. The first two pleas in the story show us why we need to embrace Jesus' authority. And then the last two pleas are going to show us how. Plea number one is the plea of the demon-possessed man. Even before we hear a word out of his mouth, this man makes it clear with his actions that there's no one like Jesus. He's been resisting all human contact for years. But then when Jesus steps on the scene and the man sees him even just from a distance, it's like there's a magnetic pull on him. He sees him from a distance and he runs to him. No one has been strong enough to subdue this man. Did you notice there um, in verse, you probably heard this while Lisa was reading But toward the end of verse 4, no one had the strength to subdue him. In verse 3, no one could bind him anymore. No one was able to control him, but yet he gets drawn to Jesus. What is it about Jesus that pulls this isolated man toward him? What is it about Jesus that makes this violent, unsubduable man come to him and then fall on his knees? Why doesn't he avoid Jesus? Why doesn't he just run away from him? I don't think it's because the demons inside him are forcing him to come to Jesus. I mean, they have every reason to keep their distance from Jesus. I don't think it's simply because this man is curious. I think it's because deep down, this guy senses that Jesus has the authority to set him free. The Bible says that the core of what it means to be human is that we're made in God's image. We're supposed to image God to the rest of creation. We forge relationships. That's a piece of it. Uh, We make homes. We care for land and animals. We create beauty. That all has to do with what it means to image what God is like to this world. But think about this man. All of that is distorted and subdued in him. Uh, His relationships are broken. He's homeless. He cares for nothing. He destroys his own body with stones. But deep down, he's crying out because he knows it's not supposed to be this way. He groans for things to be different. And in his rush to Jesus, and in his falling down on his knees before Jesus, There's a silent plea. That's the first plea of our story. It's a plea for God's image in him to be renewed. It's a plea to be set free. Do you see what this means? It means that even the person that you think is impossibly far from God has a part of him, has a part of her, that groans to be released from evil. God made this man in his misery notice Jesus and sense that he had the authority to set him free. And he can do that for people in your life too. Dave told us stories of people that he's done that for. He's done it for you and and me. So here's the first reason to embrace Jesus' authority. You should embrace his authority because only he has the authority to set people free. But that's not the only reason. Take a look with me at the second plea of our passage. It's the plea of the demons. We see it in verses 6 through 12. Let me just read this one for us. And when he saw Jesus from afar, this is chapter 5, verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. The demon's plea is a plea to avoid judgment by staying in the territory that they've taken over. These demons have taken over a spot. They want to stay there, and they're pleading to do that. Have you ever had someone break into your house? My parents had someone break into their house this past Christmas, and the people didn't really steal anything or or cause a major problem, just small things, but they unwrapped all the Christmas presents. My parents felt violated. Um, There's a sort of just anger about that. Um, if you've had someone break into your house, you probably know a little bit of God's anger to see someone who's been taken over with demons. Or if you've ever had a negligent renter, you might know what this is like. Uh, A a group of us helped someone here at church clean up after a renter had stayed in the house, uh, bailed from the house, and had left it in shambles. And even after a junk removal company had come through, there were like seven of us working out in this guy's, in the yard, and it it took a while to get everything cleared out. And you want to have sympathy for the person who was staying there, what was going on in their lives, we can't imagine. But at the same time, there is a just anger that happens when someone trashes your place. The owner has just walked into the scene. Jesus steps in and he has authority and that leads us to the second reason that you need to embrace Jesus's authority. Only he has the authority to really claim territory. Only Jesus really has the authority to claim territory. As the the demon-possessed man runs towards him, Jesus makes a simple command Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Don't torment me. Can you believe this? This demon is trying to appeal to God as maybe a higher power. Maybe he thinks that God the Father is a higher power of Jesus and that he'll, he does an incantation on Jesus to try and protect himself. Jesus doesn't, have to do any incantations. He just says, come out of him." You see, Jesus carries all of God's authority because he is God, and he wants to clean house today. He lasers in on the demon. What is your name? And now the demon, or should I say demons, speak directly to Jesus. They've been using the man to talk up until then, but now they say, my name is Legion, for we are many. They used the word legion to describe themselves, which means about 6,000. That was the biggest unit in the Roman army at the time. And the area that they're in, by the way, Jesus had crossed the lake with his disciples. They got out, and when he stepped foot into this area, it was actually Roman territory. This was not Jewish territory. It was an area called the Ten Cities, the Decapolis. And there's all sorts of spirituality, paganism, um, in this area so you might see why the demons would think oh this is our territory we've grown comfortable here but the whole earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and he's just set foot on this part of it it's like one writer says when demoniac meets divine it's a no contest event all they can do is plead for Jesus to let them stay in the territory So they start by, again, having the man do it for them. Please, they get the man to beg. Don't send them out of this country. And then, when that doesn't work, they bow even further and grovel before Jesus with an idea. Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. And so, look here, I love this. Jesus doesn't even give a command to them. He just simply gives them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Only Jesus has the authority to claim territory. Why does that matter for you? i want to give you two reasons. First, because you need to know that Jesus' authority extends to every inch of this world. Your new dorm room is his, Your estranged relative's house, that's his. Small town America with its opioid crisis is his. Washington DC is his. Post-Christian Europe, that's his. Did you know that, that India just took over China as the most populated country in the world? India is his. The hidden parts of your house are his. Your hospital room, That's his. Ann Arbor, Michigan, with its maize and blue university. That's his. Uh, But the Decapolis, that's not the main territory that Jesus claims in this passage. You know what the main territory is that he claims? He claims the man. He claims the territory of the human heart. Did you hear what this man looked like after the demons had gone out of him? Sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. Jesus has the authority to claim the territory of the human heart. Though now you did just learn that this man has been naked this whole time, which is a little strange. Aren't you glad you didn't have to picture that earlier in this sermon? But, but listen, the fact that he was naked and then clothed, that actually tells you something about Jesus' authority, doesn't it? The forces of darkness want to strip away and expose and take advantage of. But the authority of King Jesus for the people that he chooses to love, it clothes, it restores. And that really matters for you. Jesus claims your heart in order to restore the image of God in you. That includes your relationships, your ability to build or work or nurture, and your sense of home and belonging. All those things that we talked about being in the image of God category, that's what Jesus came to restore. So do you have relationships in your life that are just broken? Maybe you've failed a parent Or a sibling, Jesus says, Those relationships are now my territory. I'm here to give you love even for your enemies, a love that does not depend on what you get out of the relationship. It's mine. Have you made decisions maybe in your younger years that have kept you from working and building and nurturing the way that you wish you had? Maybe you have a career path that got sidelined because you didn't put in the work or you made bad choices. Or maybe you have grown kids who you look back and see how you were putting in the work so much at your job that you neglected them more than you should have. Maybe you had an addiction sideline some really good things that you had going for you. Do you realize what Jesus' authority means for you? It means that your past is his to redeem. And so I know a drummer who his own, his own drumming talent was once a thing that he used to generate a bad boy mentality and led him down a wrong path. But now God redeemed it and uses it to shine out his greatness. I know a dad who feels like he failed to build into his teenage boys, but now he calls them weakly because Jesus redeems your past. He says that relationship, in all of the mess that the brokenness caused, is mine. I claim it. It's mine. That's some good authority. What about your sense of home and belonging? Has life cut you off from the sense of home that you always longed for? Or maybe you walked a long path of life with another person, and now you journey with grief by by your side because that person died. Jesus looks at you, and he says, I am claiming your grief as my own. I am with you in it. I know a woman who spent decades feeling like the world had gypped her and that she had nothing to live for. And now she tears up when she thinks about a God who's loved her this whole time. That's not always easy to remember, and this woman doesn't always remember it. But when she has a moment, when she catches a glimpse of this kind of love where Jesus says, I claim this pain in your life, As something that I want to be with you in. This is my territory. That makes a huge difference. Demons are tyrants. They would have you believe that there's no one to help you and that you have to either give up or help yourself. But let me tell you, Jesus is no tyrant, He's a good shepherd. He's not in it to get more power for himself because he already has all power and all glory. And he claims you simply because he loves you. And why does he love you? Because he loves you. I don't have a better answer than that. God loves you because he loves you. And that's exactly why the next group of characters in our story get it wrong. They failed to see what Jesus' authority is like. The plea of the demon-possessed man and the plea of the demons gave us two reasons to embrace the authority of Jesus. One was that only Jesus has authority to set people free. Two was that only Jesus has the authority to claim territory as his own, including the territory of the human heart. That's why you should embrace Jesus' authority. The final two pleas of our story show us how. Or in the case of this next plea, how not to embrace Jesus' authority. Because now the story shifts over to these villagers. These are the people who've lived in the vicinity of this man for years. He's become a fixture in their lives. A superstitious gossip point. Can you picture the talk that was going on in the town? Oh, you're going down by the lake? Make sure you stay away from the tombs. They say that that man is a wild animal waiting to pounce. My friend Stephan and his sons used to tie him up with ropes to try and make the route usable again. But now not even chains hold him. We don't know what he eats, and we don't want to find out. Keep your kids away, or they'll hear him shrieking. They say he's cursed by Zeus and draws his strength from Hades. These stories have been going around the town. They've heard all of them. But now, today, a new story reaches their ears. Breathless herdsmen who were given one job run into the countryside and the towns to let people know that your pigs just ran into the sea. They were watching the herd, and and then a stampede broke out. And this wasn't just a little group of pigs. This was all 2,000 like people were driving them with whips. They ran into the sea. Do you know how much money that was? I mean, you know, Jews don't eat pigs. This was for, maybe for Roman soldiers, maybe legions of Roman soldiers. There are pigs to feed them. Cost a lot of money, lost a lot of money. So can you imagine how distraught the owners were? Surely some of you have had an investment that went belly up or a small business that crashed or, uh, or a sudden layoff. That's a powerful gut-punch feeling right when you find out about it. And that's what these people have, and so they rush to investigate. How could this be? And then the people who saw it unfold tell them all about it. It's because this Jewish man came across the lake on a boat and somehow got up close to the tomb demoniac. And then without even touching him, with even a length of rope, he cast out an entire horde of demons. They made the pigs run into the water. And all you need to do to see proof is come with us and look. Come see the tomb man. And so they come. And a whole crowd gathers around this guy. And as they do, an even stronger emotion than the gut punch feeling takes hold of them. Because they don't see a demon man anymore. They see a man who's sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And he's sitting right beside Jesus. The emotion that takes over them is fear. They were used to a land full of demons, full of strange gods and spirits and incantations. They were used to the demonized man, but they are not used to someone who has the authority to eradicate demons simply by giving permission. What it boils down to is this. They would rather live with an uncontrollable demoniac that they can keep at a distance than with a man who has the authority to control those demons. Because um, a distanced demoniac... I'm not going to try and say that again. Okay, okay, I will. A distanced demoniac doesn't have any control on your day-to-day life. But someone who has the authority... Over a horde of demons? Surely he's going to have authority over a mere human. They clearly cannot stay neutral to Jesus. They either bow to him or they get him to leave. And so in verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Here's the takeaway for you. If you're going to embrace Jesus' authority, you cannot let fear of how he might change your life get in the way. Don't let fear of how Jesus might change your life keep you from embracing his authority. So a question, what are you used to? Another question, if you read your Bible and begin to see that Jesus has a very different take on some issue in your life maybe it's money or the way you treat your enemies or the extent to which you tell others about him and his kingdom if you see that jesus has a different take on that are you willing to embrace his take over yours you know these townspeople are actually pretty savvy they can see right away what you and i sometimes miss you cannot have it both ways with jesus You cannot say, Jesus is my king, and then hold back a part of your life. He he can't just be a happy part of your life. To be sure, He's the only way you can be lastingly happy. He will make you whole, but in order to have Him, He has to have you, all of you. There's no middle ground. Don't let fear of how Jesus might change your life keep you from embracing his authority on all of your life. Don't let it. This is the story of four pleas. Uh, The plea of the villagers was not so great, was it? Thankfully, our fourth plea, the one that's going to take us home today, our fourth plea is a billion times better than plea number three. It's going to give us a model for how to embrace Jesus' authority. Can you guess what it is? You can see it in verse 18. It's the plea of a man set free. Starting in verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Why does he want to go with him? Isn't he ashamed of who he once was? Uh, Probably. Doesn't he know he's not worthy? Definitely. But he can't help himself because Jesus has claimed his life from the pit and crowned him with steadfast love and compassion. He's given him a whole new lease on life. Do you know that feeling? Do you know what it's like to be set free by Jesus, to be claimed by him? You might have grown up here at Red Cedar Church, singing songs about Jesus, um, hearing sermons about Jesus, talking about Jesus. I mean, you kids in Sunday school, you know that Jesus is the answer. But do you know him like this man knows him? Do you want to go with him? Have you seen how his authority is actually a good thing for you? Have you seen how he leads the people who belong to him? Are you willing to be led by him no matter the cost? Because if you are, you can be like this man in the story. You can embrace Jesus' authority. This man was ready to go with him no matter the cost. And you know what? If you are too, then you're a lot like this man, because like us, he's not able to go directly with Jesus and to be with him right away. And like us, Jesus gives him a job to do while he's away. Look at verse 19. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Do you see how this man embraced Jesus' authority? Two ways. First, he really wanted to be with Jesus. Second, he did what Jesus told him to do. And that's how you can do it too. A question how do you make yourself want to be with Jesus more? What makes you want to be with Jesus? It's when you see how he's rescued you. This story has hints of it. Jesus was rejected by the villagers. One day, he would be rejected by his own people. The son of the most high God, who these villagers could not stand, he would be mocked, spit on, jeered at, and crucified by his own people. And he did it for you. And you know what? That rejection would lead Jesus down a path where he would actually take the place of the demoniac in our story. Think about it. Jesus was bound. Jesus was tortured on a cross. The demoniac was cutting himself with stones. The demoniac had legions of demons oppressing him. And Jesus took the weight of the world on the cross in order to set you free. He took the place of the demoniac. And if you'll trust him, he took that place for you. The demoniac cried out from the tombs. Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He absorbed evil for you and for me so that if we believe in him, our sins are forgiven and the forces of hell are totally disarmed. So you might live in a demonized world, but because of Jesus, they don't have any power over you. He died. He literally made his home among the tombs, but death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him, and by passing through death, he became the way for us to enter the home that every fiber of our souls long for. Do you not want to be with a king like this? Do you not want to follow him to the ends of the earth? No one has ever loved you better than Jesus. No one loves you stronger than he does right now. And for now, he says to you exactly what he said to this dear man who he loved. He says, go. Go into the towns and villages and tell how much I've done for you. Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So this table... It's open this morning to all who trust in Jesus as Savior and follow him as king. If you're unwilling to trust Jesus, or if you're unwilling to follow him in some part of your life, first off, we're really glad that you're here. Second off, it makes sense for you to please hold off, because this table, the bread and the cup, are for all who embrace Jesus' authority. If you'll turn to him, if you'll confess your sins and believe in him to set you free, to claim you as his own, if you'll embrace his authority, then come. Please come. This is for you. Um, And as you come, by the way, we're going to come down the middle aisle and go out the sides. As you come and as you take bread and cup, do it as a way of embracing his authority over you afresh this week to say, He's my king. My heart is his territory. And as you take bread and cup, remember that.